Aren't you guys glad it's December? The constant threat of snow. We hope it's not like last year and we get snowed in and all that. It's tons of fun. The one good thing about December is that Christmas is just around the corner. And just as you will always hear in every church is that we should always remember that Jesus is the reason, not just for the season, but for the reason why we live. Amen? But, as always, we, uh, we want to focus and double down on Him during this Christmas season, of course. And so, we are con- if you guys were with us during our life groups, we're continuing the covenants and the constant promises that God has and how He has never broken a single one. Amen? And the covenant we want to open up with is the very first one. And we are starting with the, the topic I felt like God wanted us to start with is why we need a Christmas in the first place. Before we can remember the reason for the season, we have to remember why there's even a reason for a need for the season. And we're going to go to the very, 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 very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And we're going to start there. And it says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in, the e- in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you guys are in your Bible, jump down to verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And just as I said, we must first remember the reason for the season. Of course, that's Jesus coming down to this earth and being born as a baby boy and, and endeavoring upon this adventure of making right every single wrong that humanity has done past Genesis chapter 3. And as you will read the Bible, you will constantly see shadows and types of Jesus. And as you will see throughout his life, you can see patterns of how he's making right the wrongs of Adam and Eve. He's making right the wrongs of Noah. He's making right the wrongs of Abraham. He's making right the wrongs of everything that the children of Israel had done ever since being released out of Egypt. And in every aspect of his life, he makes wrong or makes right these wrongs. He, in, in humanity's downfall and in, in our weaknesses, Jesus was perfect. It's not from the simple fact that he never sinned. It's also the fact that in everything that we have seen in the heroes of our faith, in every stepping stone that they stumbled over, Jesus was able to cross over that without a problem. That Jesus was able to uh, do everything that in our own humanity we were incapable of doing. But it all begins in Genesis chapter 2. And some of us may wonder, why is there even, if God created this earth and God created it all to be perfect, if God created everything just right, then why did he even have a door for sin to enter into? 
Why do you even give us an option of disobeying? And the simple answer is he wanted us to be able to choose him in the first place. Because if we didn't have a choice to love him, if we didn't have a choice to be with him like we talked about Sunday, if we didn't have a choice to be intimate with him, but he only gave us that one option of being with him, then we would be nothing more than robots. We'd be nothing more than animals acting upon instinct rather than, rather than intimacy. And so that's the, that's the main point, that's the main reason why God even gave us an option in the first place. But God did, God did design this world perfectly, correct? You, a lot of our friends and a lot of people that we're around may ask us, well, if God is a good God, then why do bad things happen? If God is a good God, then why do these terrible things in the earth happen? And it's because that God did give humanity rule over this earth. That God's domain is heaven, but he gave humanity power here and of the earth. That he laid everything below our feet. He gave everything under our dominion. But yet we squandered it. But yes, but yet we chose to be like God rather than to be content to be in his presence. And so in our own doing, in, in Adam and Eve's own decision to be like God when they already were like God, when they tried to see something that wasn't theirs, they allowed sin to enter into the world. And sin, of course, we know is anything that separates us from God and separates us from his presence. And the sin that Adam and Eve allowed into the world is the sin of trying to be more than what they already were. God had created them perfectly. He created them in his image. He created them to have peace, to have joy. But in trying to reach out for more than, than what they already had, they allowed themselves to try and be more than God. By, being, by taking more than what they already had in this earth. And so by allowing sin into the world, there was this main issue that God had created exactly what He wanted. He created a place where God could come and be with His creation. Again, as we talked about Sunday, the main goal that God wants us to have with Him is to be in intimate relationship with Him. And as we see in Genesis that God would come down and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. That he would come and talk with them. He would come and laugh with them. And that this was a place that he created to enjoy with Adam and Eve and all of humanity. So that way he could have a true and lasting relationship with each and every one of us. Because his goal for you and I was to be in this garden with him. To have a deep and lasting connection with him and to never once be separated from him. And so, one of the main misconceptions that I feel that a lot of Christendom has is that when we leave our physical body, that our main goal is to get to heaven. And it's not. Everything that you'll see from Genesis 3 to the end of the Bible is God trying to get us back to paradise. To get back to the garden. To get back into this new heaven and this new earth. This earth that is this beautiful garden that God wanted Adam and Eve to make the whole earth in the first place. In this place, we are able to truly walk with God in the cool of the evening again. We're able to truly laugh, to truly love, to truly be able to be one with Him and one with everyone else with us. To truly live in an agape love, an unconditional love that, 
that without his presence or without his strength, we are incapable of showing. But because of sin, that separated us from him. That separated us from being able to walk with him. That separated us from being able to live in this world that God wanted us to have in the first place. If you read in Genesis 3, verses 8 through 15, it says, When the cool of the evening breeze was, were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees, and the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He replied. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And so, as we said, we come to this first covenant. At the very end of that passage where it says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. But before we can truly unpack that, I really want to focus on piece by piece of this passage because in order to understand how much has really fallen apart, we got to tear it a bit, tear it piece by piece. Just like I said, God's whole picture for this earth was to be able to walk with us, to be able to walk with each of you just like we could walk with one another to be able to spend time with us just like you and I can spend time with one another. He wanted to be able to laugh with us just like you and I can laugh together. He wanted to be able to just spend time with us instead of being a distant figure that he can feel like to a lot of people. He didn't want to just be this abstract God in the sky. He wanted to be close face to face. As you'll read with the story of Moses, where it said, what made Moses so, so inspiring to the people of Israel is he, God knew his name and Moses knew God's name. That they met face to face. And that was so astonishing because since Adam and Eve, nothing like that had happened. Nothing close to that had happened. Because there was a fraction. There was a separation from God and humanity that could no longer exist in unison together because of our rebellion. So as I have already said, that this is where God's wanting us to be able to get back to is being able to walk with him, to be united with him once again, to truly be in friendship and in relationship with him again instead of him being so far away that he's something that we just kind of admire. He's just kind of something that we look forward to one day. Is oh, when I get to heaven, I'll be able to talk to him. When I get to heaven, I'll be able to speak with him. Oh, when I get to heaven, I'll be able to be with him. But that's not the case anymore. This is one of the reasons why Jesus came. It's so that way, even now, even though this world isn't made in the new aspect that he, he's always wanted it, 
he can still be with us. His Holy Spirit can still dwell in, within us. That Jesus can still be within us and we can still be made clean by him so that way we can become one with him again, right? That we can still have this relationship with him that we don't have to be so ceremonially clean like you would read in Leviticus. We don't have to keep putting our sins on a bull and on a ram, on a goat, on a lamb so that way we could even come into the presence of God one time a day. We don't have to jump through all these hoops. We don't have to do all these things just to be able to be in slight proximity with God. But because of Jesus coming down to this earth, bridging that gap, we are able to actually talk with him without being struck dead. We're actually being able to see him without being struck dead. We're actually able to live in his presence here every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday without being struck dead. Because if you'll read in any of Exodus, Leviticus, any of that, that even if you entered into the presence of God, there was always a chance you wouldn't make it out. But you and I can go to our secret place like we talked about Sunday. We can go into our room, we can pray, and we can say, Father God, and He can hear us and come into our room, and His presence can change everything. Because Jesus has come, we're able to walk with God again. But us walking with God wasn't the only thing that Jesus came to fix. Because there's a, another heartbreaking thing that I saw in this passage I really want us to focus on. Is that yes, Jesus is the reason for the season. And yes, that we're able to uh, walk with God again. And yes, we're able to have relationship with Him again. But the thing that God wanted, a, another thing that God wanted to fix within us is our ability to love one another. Because yes, there's one aspect of the Bible you'll understand in the New Testament is love God. And the second one is to love people. And how many of you know it's hard to love people? The second thing that I noticed in this passage in Genesis chapter 3 that was so heartbreaking is that when God is asking Adam, what have you done? What is it that you've done? Why are you hiding from me? Because all of a sudden now you're understanding that you're naked. You're understanding that you're not physically covered by something. So why is it that you're understanding of this now? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Adam didn't say, yes, God, I ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, it's the woman. The woman gave me the apple. The woman gave me the fruit. But if you go back in Genesis chapter 2, when God said it's not good for man to be alone, when Adam is put into this deep sleep and God produces Eve out of Adam's rib, Adam was excited. He said, finally, there is somebody like me. Finally, there is someone that I can be with. Finally, there's someone that I can truly live with that's like me. He's excited. He has this deep love for Eve because he has finally found somebody like him. He has this deep connection with her, this deep relationship with her. We don't have a time frame for what, how long there's been between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, but there's obviously enough time for Eve to be made aware of everything in the garden, of Eve being made aware of every animal in creation and in existence. So obviously some time has gone past. There's been some time for them to build a relationship. There's been some time for them 
to, for their love to go deeper than just, she's the only other female alive. There's been some time for them to actually have an intimate relationship together. But as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, it feels like that connection is fractured. Because he goes from, finally, there's somebody like me, he goes to, the woman made me do it. Because when he says the woman, he doesn't call her Eve. He doesn't call her humanity, he calls her woman. He doesn't call her the same name, he just calls her woman. And so, instead of being in love with Eve, there's been this separation from this intimacy that God designed for Adam and Eve. So, not only is there a fracture between humanity and God, but there's a fracture between humanity and humanity. We're not able to have, we weren't able to have that intimacy that God wanted us to have. We're not able to have that deep love that's unconditional like God wanted us to have. And so, when sin entered into the world, we weren't able to love God, and we weren't able to love people. Because after this point, you'll see that there's murders after murders after murders, that humanity hates itself to the point to where there's constant war, there's constant vileness, to the point to where God said, I regret regret creating humanity. How bad is that? God's saying, oh man, I'm... I wish I hadn't done this. (laughs) So that's where, those are the two main things that I I felt like caused the greatest issues. We weren't able to love God and we weren't able to love each other. But God in His infinite wisdom and mercy already made a covenant with us, with a broken and a fractured humanity, a a humanity that's not able to love him and a humanity that's not able to love itself. He said, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. If you guys read this, uh, were in our life groups and you read our devotional with one another, then you'll see that this is a covenant, the very first covenant that God makes with humanity and says that even in the very beginning of our rebellion, He already makes a promise for a way out. He already makes a promise of bridging the gap between us and each other, between us and God and with one another. He already makes a promise to fix all of our mistakes in the very beginning. In the very beginning, he already had an answer for all our mistakes, all our mess-ups, all our screw-ups. And if that doesn't give you hope and courage for today, then I don't know what will. That even as soon as we messed up, he already had an answer. So before, that tells me before you and I were ever born, he already had an answer. Before you and I even made the mistake, he already had a way out. Before you and I even sinned, he already had a solution. Now that doesn't give us permission to go and do whatever we want. 
but it does give us a comfort in knowing that this isn't about our performance. That, yeah, we're going to mess up. Yes, we're going to screw up. And yes, we're going to make countless, countless, countless mistakes. But God has made a way for us to love him again and to love one another again. And as long as we can do those things, that's what he wants. And in this time and in this season, until Jesus makes his return and collects us and creates a new heaven and new earth, we can be windows of heaven. We can be pockets of that garden that God wanted us to have in the first place. That we don't have to wait for paradise. Yes, there is going to be a paradise. Yes, there's going to be a garden that God wanted us to have. He's going to recreate this world in the image that he originally wanted it. But we can still be windows of heaven here and now. By living in his grace, by remembering why we even have a Christmas in the first place. By purposely being intimate with our heavenly father. By loving him and loving people. By loving him and letting that love overflow in us so that way we can love others. I want to talk a little bit more about God's wisdom for us. And because he made that promise at the end of Genesis uh, 3.15. It says that, that covenant where God's already promised the Savior. He's already promised a Messiah to strike back at the enemy and to reclaim everything that we've given up. To, to reclaim that holiness, to reclaim this garden, to reclaim this paradise that God wanted us to have. In Genesis 3.21, it says, And the Lord God made a clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Again, we see another image of Jesus right here. Because in order to take the skin, I don't think that animal got away unscathed. So it insinuates that there was a lamb or a goat or something that you'll see in Leviticus about animal sacrifices that God has al is already practicing this. There are two things in this that I was thinking about that really reminds me of Jesus. Is that one, he made clothing for them. That this clothing is to cover them of their sin, to cover them of their shame. And when you meet God and when you come to know God, there's conviction. There's correction that he wants to bring. And yes, there's shame, and yes, there's this, this feeling of dirtiness and that I, I'm, I can't live up to this, that I can't live up to God's grace. I can't live up to what it is that God's promising to give me. But he said that's not a matter for you to worry about. I'm already going to take care of it because he made skins for Adam and Eve to protect them from the elements of the world outside. He went ahead and took care of them in that regard. So he took care of them physically, but it's also a symbol of he's going to cover us. As we'll see with the Lamb of God, that is Jesus, the Messiah, who has come, just like we sang about this morning. He's going to cover us in his blood. He's going to cover us in his sacrifice so that you and I can truly walk into the presence of God again. Because I was reading in Leviticus and how even as soon as they made this promise with God, they made this pact to be God's people, to be God's disciples, or to be God's holy people. When Aaron and his sons were already, as soon as they were consecrated as priests, 
The next day, Aaron's sons got killed because the Bible says they offered up strange fire. They weren't able to live up to the codes. They weren't able to live up to the countless rules and the countless traditions that they were supposed to follow in order to even come close to God. But we can see a a small shadow and type of Jesus. We can see a small image of Him in Genesis 3 that He's going to cover us so that we can truly come into His presence again. That instead of having to try and cover ourselves, instead of trying to uh, cover ourselves in fig leaves and trying to do things in our own strength and our own power, he's already got it taken care of. And that even as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, he caused them to be able to live. Because even being in that sin, they should have died, but they didn't. Because, G- because God offered up a sacrifice for them. And so what does all this mean today? Always like clarifying, what does this have to do with us today? What is this supposed to remind us of with Christmas today? Worship team, I'm wrapping up. I got my last uh, scripture here. If you guys want to make your way up here. So I want to jump forward about 4,000 years. I want to go to Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 20. And it says this, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone that had happened what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So what does Luke 2 have to do with Genesis 3? What is Genesis 3 trying to get us, what am I trying to get us to understand today? It's that, yes, we fall short. Yes, we're not able, we weren't able to come into God's presence at one point in one time. That we have to remember why Jesus even had to come in the first place. Why did Jesus have to come as a baby? Why did Jesus 
have to come? And why did he have to live 30 years as a carpenter? Why do you have to... Why do you have to minister for three years and then die on a cross and a gruesome and a terrible death and then rise on the third day? It was because you and I were separated from him. It was because we weren't able to have closeness. We weren't able to have a relationship with him anymore. And he wanted us to be able to come back to the garden. Because if God had just, when God was regretting creating humanity, if he had simply wiped everything away, including Noah, and tried to start fresh, that doesn't change the fact that sin was in the world. And that there was still a separation between us and Him. That doesn't change the fact that there was separation between me and you. But He had to bridge that gap. And so when we think about this baby lying in a manger, that this is the bridge for humanity. He's the one that was able to take the gap and bring it back together. Because where we were helpless, he was perfect. Where we failed and where we stumbled, he was able to walk tall. Where we failed constantly, he was able to succeed. Where we rebelled, he remained submitted to the Father. And in turn gave us an image of what we are supposed to be like with God. Because Jesus didn't come in divinity, but he came in humanity. As you'll hear pastors say, not one thing did he do in his godhood, but he did it with the Holy Spirit. And so he gave us an image of who we should be, of what we could be, walking in the presence of God every day, walking in a deep love with God every day, to walk in a deep love for each other every day. Because as Jesus walked with compassion in his heart for each and every person that he came across, just as Jesus would go and love on the Father by himself, that's what that baby that we read about in Luke became. And before he even said a word, even maybe as he was crying, the shepherds came and they saw their Messiah. That Jesus didn't have to say anything wise and astounding. That Jesus didn't have to do anything Uh, do anything beyond their belief he just simply had to be there and the shepherds were filled with joy because that's what the presence of God does for us that the reason for the season isn't gifts and packages and all these things it's not about it's not about the snow it's not about getting off work every now and then it's all about him. Amen. That yeah, we think about a baby in a manger, but it's all about us being able to love God and to love people again. Yeah. So what is that supposed to do for us? I would like to examine the shepherds. The shepherds upended their daily schedule and took time to go see God. And by taking time to go see God, they were forever changed. That not only did they tell people in Bethlehem about the Savior that was born, they told them on their way home. And then even after they got home, things didn't change and go back to normal. They continued to tell people and anyone that would listen. And so that's why we need a Christmas. It's so that way we could be able to come in relationship with God again, that we could 
be able to jump over the gap that sin had created and be able to come into a loving relationship with God again, to be able to have a relationship with one another again the way that God truly wanted. But also, so that way you and I could tell others to come and see Him. So that way you and I just won't have a convenient Sunday to invite people to church on Christmas Day, but for us to truly say, Come and see him. Not just at church, but in my life. But to say, come and see him in your Bible. Come and see him for yourself when you pray. And see that there truly is hope, that there truly is love, there truly is joy for you to be found in him. And it just takes his presence. Amen. So I just want to pray over us real quick, and as the worship team plays...